right. Well, I want to welcome Drew Cobb to the podcast. Drew is a great friend of mine. He is one of our uh, stars on the Dawson faculty and been involved with us for a very, very long time. And so, Drew, welcome. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. So I like to start with, uh, with the, these interviews with a very simple question. And maybe beyond dentistry, who is Drew Cobb? Tell us, who is Drew Cobb? Well, that's a loaded question. How long do we have for the podcast? Two, two minutes. Two minutes you got to answer this question. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I, love, I love dentistry, and I used to do a lot. To, I used to do too much of dentistry until I got into the Dawson Academy. And, and once I kind of got into the Dawson Academy, I actually practiced what I learned. I actually found I had more time for life, like the stuff that you, you like to do. So uh, I probably, like many of us, family is so important. Uh, and, and being able to kind of corral your practice, you get some time out of that to spend with, with family. That's the stuff you're never going to get back. Um, free time, you know, I'd love to play tennis. I love to uh, do a little bit of boating, which is the perfect social distancing activity right now. We can kind of leave the dock and there's nobody there and throw out the anchor. So the last couple uh, weeks since we've been actually been able to go do that again, that's kind of how we've been spending our weekends, which is which has been a great way to recharge after these uh, last couple of months we've all had to deal with. Yeah, I know it was tough on you because for a while there the marinas were closed, so you couldn't get to your boat, which was uh, yeah. had to have been tough. I mean, um, like all of us, you're stuck at home for two months. Yeah, yeah. Well, we sort of did the same thing at the lake, and it was kind of the same thing. You got to get up there and and be away from people, which it's, it's tough, but at the same time, blessed to be able to do it that way for sure. The other thing that uh, maybe talk a little bit about is inside of dentistry, you also do some things, um, kind of mission trips and things like that. And you've done a lot of, a lot of dentistry that has been outside of your practice. Maybe talk about that for, for a second. I think one of the really, really cool things about our profession uh, kind of a good and bad thing is there's such a need for it throughout the world. And I always, I always wanted to try to do some volunteer dentistry, but my practice wouldn't let me cause I was there all the time. Again, I'm going to go back to once I was able to kind of go through the curriculum and corral and rework my practice. I ended up having time to do those things. Um, so I've done international trips. I've been to Vietnam. I was with a group that we helped build and run a clinic in the DR near the, uh, Haiti border for, gosh, I was involved with them for about 10 years. I think I went down there about 17 or 18 trips. More recently, I've been going to the Navajo Indian Reservation. In fact, I was there the very week before this whole shutdown started, mm. um, which was kind of crazy and poor. And, and, and my heart goes out to them because Navajo Nation has been hit uh, second to New York. Um, and, and some wow. of the work in the U.S. has been terrible. And, uh, and actually... Just last weekend, I was at a clinic that we started at a place in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. I like this because it's kind of close to home. It's on Smith Island, which is this small island of uh, basically people that have been living and working off of that since since Maryland was kind of founded. And um, they have to go to the mainland to get medical and dental care. There's an old dental clinic that hadn't been, been um, staffed. So last summer, we kind of brought it back to life and... We had a whole delay with the whole COVID thing, but we went last weekend to 
put all of our new infection control guidelines in place and in a couple of weeks we'll go back and start seeing patients again. That so. is that is awesome. Yeah, I've always admired that with you. Um, the amount of time that you've spent both in the practice and, and, and having your love of dentistry to help other people outside your practice is amazing. So you talked a little bit about the academy um, and I know we have sort of a similar journey in terms of academy, ACD, some of the things that we've done along the way, but I know you're in sort of the Chevy Chase DC border there. Tell us a little bit about your practice before we get into the topic of really getting into sleep dentistry and sleep apnea. Tell us a little bit about what your practice is like now, um, who's involved, kind of the percentage of time you spend on larger cases versus what you would consider general, general dentistry and TMD. What's the mix like? I think probably like most of us that have gone through this, my practice originally was, you know, a, a busy general practice. And um, over the years, it's, it's, you know, it's restorative. You know, I like restorative dentistry. And uh, as you go through the academy and you get kind of more comfortable with what you're doing and you know you can solve problems that you couldn't have before, I think probably what you do, the cases probably get more complex. So you're kind of doing, doing more. And that's kind of the wheelhouse what the Dawson Academy teaches. So my, my practice, I think, is, is, is uh, come kind of straight from what I learned in the curriculum at the Dawson Academy. Over the years, uh, in addition to that, I probably see a lot more TMD patients. It's not anything that I necessarily advertise. It's just that you, know, you get known what you're known for. You can end up solving more complex problems. So I get probably about 80% of my new patients, John, have TMD in the first sentence when they call the office. Um, which is, which is fine. You know, I think it's, it's actually a very rewarding thing to be able to know that you can solve more complex cases or problems with patients and that that's kind of how it's evolved over the years. And, and that kind of led me to, to airway as, as well. But I, I don't, my practice isn't necessarily a TMD practice and I'm not trying to make it an airway practice. I'm still trying to be a complete dentist that does a lot of restorative dentistry. I mean, that's kind of my wheelhouse where I want to be. Yeah, and I think that's really, I mean, we've talked a lot about this, but I think that's one of the, the misnomers is if you get known to be a, a TMJ guy, all you're making is splints. And yeah. you know the way we look at it is TMD is about diagnosis and yeah. doing things to stabilize patients. And then ultimately those people also need dentistry and often a lot of dentistry. And so, so it does, I think if we do this right, it actually works beautifully for people that love doing restorative dentistry because they, they need to have their occlusion managed, whether that's with ortho or restorative dentistry or whatever means yeah. um, with that. So you, you touched on that and, and what I, I've never asked you this, but when, what was the moment? Do you remember the moment that you became aware of sleep disordered breathing and sleep apnea and what was that moment like for you did was it like this huge aha moment or did you have to did you say oh this is a bunch of nonsense or did you chew on it for a little while what, what was it like for you i was i was chewing on it for a while i mean we all kind of saw it coming and we knew that it was out there and i'll be honest i, I kind of i had enough to do and and it was it was as complicated enough as it was let alone add a new a new layer to it um but eventually you know you 
you had to go there and you had to find out how it really affected what we were doing. And I got to give WIT credit on this because I think WIT really brought a lot of us at the Academy along with us with some of the work that, that he had done. I think the tricky part with there is, is once you kind of realize that airway is an issue that a lot of our patients are affected by, what are you going to do next? You know, so how does that come into play with your practice? And we all have, um, protocols that we follow through. And I think the, the, the thing with airway that I think frightened a lot of us is that everything we had already done, our base, our foundation, protocols that we had learned, were now going to change. And we had to do something entirely different. And it's actually the exact opposite. I think the great thing about having a good foundation, solid in dentistry from function and aesthetics and being able to take care of bacterial problems is just like TMD. It's just another layer that adds on to what you already know. It doesn't change anything. It's just something else that, that we have to maybe look into with our patients. And I think if you go through it that way, it's, it's a lot less daunting of an issue. I think that's so smart. And, and again, I, what I see sometimes with, with, with dentists that are going to this course and to that course, and maybe they never really establish a, a foundation of principles in their practice, the way they look at things, what happens is, is they bounce from course to course and they change the protocols of what they're doing as they go to different courses. And it becomes very confusing for the, for the staff and, and, and for the dentist and this, you know, the whole, the whole nine. So I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think when we go through something like this, it doesn't have to be an either or it's just an and and, and you, you're trying to figure out how it fits and and does it change certain things or maybe you're going to get a few more bits of data along the way to make a bigger piece and, and I think that's really why I want to talk to you because I think the way you look at it uh, is exactly right in that it has to fit you know Pete always challenge us to be the physician of the masquery system. Well, if we're the physicians of the masquery system, this affects that. I mean, you can't you can't pretend it's not happening. And I think I maybe went through about a year where I was kind of pretending it wasn't happening and then finally one day you realize, okay, we got to got to figure out how this fits. So that's great. Yeah. So so with that, again, one of the things that you did was started a search for you to be able to be get some expertise on this. And you uh, went to the Tufts program. So talk a little bit about what, what that is and, and the time commitment and the, and the articles. You know, I want to give us the details of, of what you, you, you're doing as a 60-year-old man. <laughs> well, thanks for throwing that in. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, my, one of the things my dad always told me is that if you're going to do something, do it right. And uh, that's kind of what led me to Dawson Academy. When I got into the TMD thing, that's what led me to the, the, the uh, courses there and then eventually to Henry. And I've and, uh, just done some stuff recently with Dr. Okuson. And so, so for the sleep, I just felt like I, I needed to know more diagnostically, but also on the treatment side, where we're going to go with this. Because you know, once you identify it, the next thing is what do you have to do about it? And then how is that going to blend into what the dental needs of our patients are? Just like you know everything out there, there are lots of courses out there. There are a lot of really good courses out there, but I wanted to go with something that was um, uh, more research-based 
And I actually kind of started at the top with the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, kind of the governing body on this. So I went to them to see what their recommendations are. And they talk about being a qualified dentist. And a qualified dentist is somebody that has a lot more expertise in this area between sleep medicine, dental sleep medicine, craniofacial pain, and TMD. Uh, they have their own program, but there's only one university-based program that you could go to do this, and it's the Tufts program. And, and actually, as I looked into it, the Tufts program has been around for, I think, more 10 years or so. Wow. Um, and so uh, it was uh, a dental sleep medicine mini residency. There was three different sessions. You're in courses for three days um, uh, while you're there, much like you know Dawson courses as far as that regards. They brought in... Um, an incredible number of really, really good speakers from the dental side, the medical side. Um, it was really amazing the way that they had that. Um, and then in between, um, there was a lot of self-study. And I'll be honest, I didn't read the fine print when I signed up for this thing. I, I'll be honest, I think I, I read, and you had to, so you had to read the articles, the research articles, and this is part of the, the um, Curriculum. Um, curriculum that you have to get through. So I read um, at least uh, 50 to 60 articles, and then you had to write a summation paper on each article. So you couldn't just read them. That's how they, I guess you basically proved that you had actually read the article. Um, I don't even think I did that at dental school. So it's much <laughs> like kind of a graduate program, I guess. So, but um, I mean, how, how many, so how long time. a period of time were you, was it like how many times did you go to Boston and talk about that? So it's three, three, so Tufts in Boston. So it's three different sessions, you know, about two or three months in, in between. So, you know, it kind of took you, you know, through three quarters of a year to go through. Um, the last session, unfortunately, was in the COVID thing. So mm. they, you know, we ended up doing an online session. So it altered things a little bit. But, um, and then in between each of those sessions, uh, you would have basically homework assignments that came in. They had a great online portal, but all of that information was there. The articles were there, easy to download. You write your report, you upload it. You have, you have your requirements. They grade you as things, as things go along. Uh, it, it was a lot of work, uh, but it was it, it's actually it's, it's really fantastic. And even now, I'm still, we're still doing articles because – Part of their thing is if, depending on how you want to get into this with the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, is that you can become a diplomat. And to do a diplomat, you have to go through uh, one of their accredited programs, and then you have to do certain casework. If you go through Tufts, the casework is included, so you don't have to submit casework outside of that. And then there's, a, there's an exam that you have to take. So Tufts has a kind of a program that I'm doing right now, which is basically a review for this, for this board exam. Cool. Uh, which, which is in September. September. So if you pass that, then you'll, I have to call you Diplomat Drew. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. DD. That's it. Okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so talk about now, I'm really interested in, in, uh, in how it's impacted your practice. I'm a lot better at airway right now. So, you know, here, here's how it comes up. It's just like anything else. Um, I think the more you know about the subject, the better. I look at this like another interdisciplinary part of, of what we do. Um, I remember when I first went through Dawson and I, and I got to the end of it, and I thought, this is going to be great. I don't have to do much more education. I know how to do this. I can do all the restorative work. And then Pete said, 
if your patient has TMD issues, they're symptomatic, you can't load the joint, you can't do the restorative work. And so that's how I went down that TMD channel. Uh, same with me. Airways, airways, the same thing, you know, so if you find airway problems with our patients, we can't do the restorative work. And I, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to do the restorative work. So it's almost, to me, it's kind of like TMD in a way. So if there's an airway issue, we got to deal with it. Whether one, we have to identify it. And then two, you got to figure out what channels you're going to go through with your interdisciplinary team to get there. Now, to make this a little bit more complicated is we as dentists can't diagnose an airway issue. We can assist, we can make recommendations, we can send the patient for referral, but the diagnosis and treatment recommendations have to come on the medical side. So you really have to then maybe expand your network on who you're going to work with in your area, um, et cetera, et cetera. And you don't have to turn your practice into a sleep practice, but I think if you're going to identify the airway things and you're going to solve it as part of then our restorative plan for our patients, you need to know the different channels that you're going to go to. Um, and I remember when I first started looking kind of for functional and, and TMD related issues with my patients, I found them all over my practice. And there have been patients of mine that have been there for a long time. I just had missed it. Same is through with airway. I, I see patients now that have been in my practice for a long time. It's like, it's so obvious that they have airway issues um, and you missed it. The difference here with airway though, is that other stuff we've done is affecting quality of life. This is affecting more life and death. I mean, if you can get somebody who's undiagnosed and, and get them corrected and get them the help that they need, they've got a much better chance of having a, a healthier and a longer life. I mean, that's a huge difference. And they put less force on your dentistry too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, some of the things we never could explain before was the why with why people are tearing up their dentition or why they're tearing up our restorations. And we talk about predictability and designing the occlusion and low stress and everything else. And that's still super, super important. But we didn't know why they played with their teeth so much. And so more and more of the patients, it may be secondary to an airway issue. Yeah, and I think that's that's really important, that, and that's really what I want to hear is that um, you know what we're what we're not talking about here is creating a mechanism where you're just cranking out sleep apnea appliances, right? Here, it's no. sort of like it, with our TMD patients, we're not creating a mechanism where everybody gets a four thousand dollars splint. It starts with good diagnosis and team, yeah. and and an appliance may or may not be a part of that. But it could be that you're working with a physician that's going to use CPAP to help manage it, or that eventually right. lead, leads to expansion orthodontics or whatever. Um, but again, are you still in the realm that you look at dentistry as a potential permanent solution for some of these patients? I think it definitely can. I mean, we know that one of the best corrective procedures to solve an airway issue, it is, is a surgical. It's, mm -hmm. a, you know, it's an advancement. You know, that if we pull the mandible forward and the mat forward, we can actually open up the airway permanently. Now that's, you gotta make a, a you know, right decision on that. That's a big deal, that's not easy. You gotta have the right people and the right diagnosis. But, but again, you gotta factor in so many things. What's going on with that patient? What's their general health? What's their age? Um, but yeah, there are, there are solutions. And on the medical side, they don't look at the solutions the way 
we do. And I'll make a generalization, it's maybe not fair, but when you get into uh, a lot of the sleep and the options for patients, some of it is just, it's a CPAP, and if they're not gonna wear a CPAP, here's an orthotic, and that's it. Uh, and, and that's the cycle. What I don't like about that a lot of times is we lose the why. We lose really what the diagnosis is. Why is there an obstruction and where is the obstruction? Yeah, where is it? Whether it's upper yeah. or lower, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then once you know those things, well, now you can talk about different options to, to solve the issue. So, you know, all the obstructions aren't in the back of the back of the mouth, you know, and, and, and an advancement or something that might not solve the problems. It could be an upper airway thing. You know, yeah, you a mandibular advancement's not going to cure an upper airway problem if, if they can't breathe so, through their nose. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why then, John, that, that, that your interdisciplinary team changes some. So you're probably going to have an ENT. You're going to have a sleep center that you, that you trust. Um, uh, you know, all of those diagnostic tools. And I think that comes into the discussion that you're going to have with your patient. Because, again, a lot of these patients, especially the older ones, they'll have a sleep issue. But they got lots of dental issues, too. We can't solve the dental issues if they're not breathing. So... Whatever it's going to be, whether it might be a CPAP, it might be an orthotic, or it might be corrective procedures, that's all part of the discussion we get to have with our patients, in addition to the recommendations you're going to get from the medical side. Did you find in the Tufts program, were they, um, and again, I, I look at some of them and I see some people leaning more towards, since there's now this, this tie-in between bruxism and sleep apnea, there's some are saying that occlusion's no longer important. What I know how we feel about it, but what was the what was the general trend there? They spent a fair amount of time talking about occlusion and TMD. So hmm. so some of the weekends we you know we had they they really got into TMD and occlusion. And again, you know, we're always looking for one thing that solves everything, and and that's not. These are multifactorial problems, and and the occlusion's part of the issue. TMD and joint health could be part of the issue. Airway could be, they could have all of these things going on. Um, I heard Henry Gremion say, and you know, Henry's the smartest guy I ever knew with oral facial pain. But he said, you know, treating the TMD patient is a thinker's game. Just throw airway into that, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. There's just more things you have to think about from the basic dental bacteria side to the functional side to the aesthetic side, TMD airway, we might have problems in every one of those categories. But I, what I think is actually really exciting is if you have the ability to kind of diagnose those problems, and then you have protocols and pathways that you're going to start to solve those problems, putting the puzzle together is really exactly the way that we did it kind of in the, in the core curriculum with treatment planning. It's just that you've added extra layers of complexity, but none of them are insurmountable. They're, they're, they're all, we can solve all of those issues with the right amount of forethought, but you're not jumping in and treating first. You, you got to kind of come up with the diagnosis and the plan first. Yeah. And you know, what I find is most patients that have these problems and, you know, maybe they show up into your practice and they don't even know they have an airway issue, but they know they're tearing their teeth up and they know the bridge that they've got in there has failed four times and they're, you know, mad at the world and all. Um, yeah. I think it's very refreshing to a patient and it's logical to a patient to say, we're going to spend a little bit of time up front, figure out why this is occurring. And so, you know, and that's where, you know, I, I think with with anybody that maybe is listening to this that is 
running a more general type practice where you're primarily working with tooth problems. Well, anytime you start treating more the system and treating the system where the teeth are just part of that system, um, the more we've got to come up with protocols that maybe are a little bit different than what we just did in dental school. And that's what I think we do pretty well at the academy is, is teach people workflows that say, if, if this is going on, you do this, this, and this to get the data. And then this is a protocol that will work. And, Absolutely. and, and again, that, that makes everybody uh, leave at a normal time at the end of the day and make a little, be a little more profitable and be a little more predictive, which is what we want. All right. So we'll finish up with a couple things. Um, and again, it's kind of like advice to dentists and I want to break it out in terms of maybe thinking about this as first, just the, the beginning dentist, my daughter takes her boards this week and will be joining me in a couple of weeks. Um, so I'm looking forward to having some conversations. I know you've got a relatively new grad in your practice, but, for the dentist that's maybe the first five years out and getting reps and kind of figuring this out, what, what is your, what's the best piece of advice? And again, I don't want you to just say take Dawson because that's easy, but what do you think, what do you think is the, the best piece of advice in terms of how they should challenge themselves, how they should think um, in order to be, to be successful in this game? One of the, the starting pieces is know that this is the beginning of your education, not the end of your education. So dental school um, gave you a great foundation to get out and to start, start this great profession, but you're just beginning your journey. And don't stop, you know, keep a curious mind. And, and there's only so much that they can do in, in dentistry. So take that basics and, and expand from it and know that, you know, it's a lot more than just teeth. It's a whole system. And again, I think one of the greatest lines was what Pete said, and John, you said this earlier, is we're the physician, the masculatory system. Unfortunately, it's not really taught that way. And maybe they don't have time to teach it that way. But I think if we go about the profession that way, then the inquisitive mind is gonna to start to try to figure out all of these systems can affect the things that we as dentists are responsible for. And it's more than just teeth. It's the teeth, it's the muscles, it's the joint, it's the airway. It's everything in that system and, and, and how they coexist. And when there is dysfunction, the problems that our patients can run into. Uh, and to start with that, I think you're gonna to have, to, to have to build on some type of foundation somewhere. John, you mentioned it earlier. Um, you can't just take course after course after course because you're always going to be spinning. So somehow you have to have some type of basic foundation and build from. Uh, and I think that will make uh, your profession and the practice of dentistry a lot more predictable and a lot more fun. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I mean, I, I tell everybody sometimes I get emails or texts and people want to say, you know, I'm looking at Dawson, I'm looking at Coyce, I'm looking at Spear, I'm looking at Panky, yeah. you know, looking at all the different ones. And what I, what I always tell everybody is, I think the most important thing is find the place, we'd love for you all to come to Dawson, but find the place where you're most comfortable, where you, you fit, and, and take the whole segment and learn those protocols wherever you are. Where I yeah. see people getting confused is bouncing from one to the other and trying to you know, I think if you master one, then you can start listening to people. And I listened to you talking about tops, 
Well, you're walking into Tufts already with extremely solid foundation of how you see. And then what you're doing is saying, okay, how does this fit what I do? You know, you're cobizing this whole thing. And, and so I, I think that's great. And, and, and the other only thing I would add to that, and you talked about being inquisitive, what I tell every dentist, and I don't think we do this enough, is if something's going on, before you treat it, figure out why. Ask yourself why, 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 and that's that's what Pete did. Is I think we're trained a lot to be procedurally driven. We see this tooth is broken, so we do a crown, and we we haven't really thought about why did it break. You know, right. was it just a big filling, or think about why because they can certainly you do this long enough, you realize really quickly they can do it to your restoration too uh, if you don't deal with the why. All right, how about you? we take now dentists that maybe our old guys like us have been at it, say over 25 years. Can you believe that we're kind of past the 30 year mark, you and I, but for, for yeah. people at the end of the career, I think sometimes people tend to sort of drift off. I remember hearing, uh, a, a, a uh, uh, he was an equipment guy working on one of my old Ritter units that I had from the previous dentist. And he came to me as a patient and I was like three years out. And uh, I asked him why he came to me as a patient. And he goes, well, he said, I find that the best dentists are within the first 10 years that they practice the first 10 years. I go, really? Why is that? He goes, because you guys spend the first 10 years building your practice, the next 10 years enjoying your practice, and the last 10 years killing your practice. (laughs) (laughs) So so I've been, when I hit that 20-year mark, I've been really trying not to do that. But you know, you are you are one of the most curious, consummate learners, dedicated learners of maybe anybody that I know. What can you ta- say to the to the person that's been doing this a while to stay excited and and to really be able to go out on top, which is you know the way I certainly want to do it. Leave my daughter with something amazing, you know, when I finally go sit on my dock for the rest of my life. No, I agree with that. You know, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to a line from Pete is that dentistry is the greatest hobby out there. And I, that's kind of how I view it. I mean, hey, we're lucky that we can, we can, uh, we can uh, make money off of this and survive and everything else like that. But I like walking into the office every day. Um, but when I don't know what I'm doing or if I feel like there's information that I need, I, I'm going to go get it. That's, that's kind of what makes the whole thing fun. I, I think if I go into the office and I feel like I'm just – hitting the time clock, it's time for me to retire. Um, but right now I'm, I'm having too much fun. There's so many really cool things going on in dentistry. John, you know this with the digital stuff. I just jumped into the digital. That's been so invigorating, yeah, challenging so cool. and frustrating at the same time. Um, the TMD patients, it's every, every patient is different. The stories are different. It doesn't mean we can fix everybody. That's a very complex thing. And some of it, some of the issues aren't dental. And, and we just need to understand that. And airway is the same sort of thing. But I think, um, I think these things, you know, keep it exciting. And, you know, also, you know, maybe later on, if I ever do slow down a little bit, you know, being able to, to kind of deal with TMD and airway issues, even just on the diagnostic phase, can be something that I could do for a long time. If I, if I want to get rid of the kind of the grind sometimes of doing those longer restorative procedures. So... It's a grind. Cool it's a grind. No yeah. pun intended, right? No pun. Yeah, intended. it is. It is. So, <laughs> well, um, but it gives lots of options. Yeah. So it sounds like the that your strategy, and I've certainly 
tried to employ the same thing is keep learning, you know, keep challenging yourself. You know, to me, you know, I, I talk about when I started doing some of the simpler implant surgeries, you know, I would look at my Apple watch at the end of the day and see when my heart rate was spiking <laughs> when I was doing the procedure. And, you know, whether it's, you know, doing a procedure or whether it's just being totally getting sucked down into the rabbit hole of three shapes, which we've both done, yeah. um, you know, in the digital side, the learning does keep things exciting. And dentistry can be unbelievably mundane if you are just doing the same thing over and over and over. So that's what I would suggest is I think that, you know, I look at the end of our career, most of us have patients that are, have kind of grown with us. They're similar ages. There's a lot of times more complex things just in the practice because the people are a little older, they trust you. So they want to be taken care of. So there's such a huge opportunity to continue to challenge yourself and go to classes and learn and, and, uh, and, and just, to kind of fall back in love with the profession if, if it's waned a little bit. Absolutely. All right, Drew. Well, anyway, I so appreciate you popping on with us. Uh, I know this is a topic that is uh, interested to everybody. And, and again, I, I, I just enjoy our friendship and I appreciate so much what you do for me and certainly for the, for the Academy. So thanks again. And uh, everybody listening, we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, John. Be well, everybody. Stay healthy. Absolutely.